I want to have you turn to Philemon 6. Philemon is a one-chapter book right before Hebrews. And I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments about your identity. Recently, I went on some air travel, and I was pulling in my roller bag, and I had my sunglasses and my mask on at the airport, as is the requirement. So I got up to the TSA, and I handed him my photo ID, my license, Missouri license. And he, of course, said, can you take off your mask and your glasses? So I went, <laughs> felt like Batman, kind of. And uh, he went, yeah, that's you. So then I you know, put it all back on. And you can't get anywhere without identification. I want to talk to you about, this is foundational stuff, but we need to know who God is. We need to know our origin. We need, in order to go forward in life and pass through the, I mean, that was the TSA going through the security to get on an airplane to make travel. Those are important things. But in everything in life, it's critical that we understand our identification, who we are, what we have, what our capabilities are, what our capacities are, how big our God is, and what his love is, and what his, what his benefits are toward us. Psalm 103, verse 1 through 5, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Uh, there's forgetfulness that can happen. You could forget the, for, the purification of your former sins and get in sin consciousness. You can forget, become a forgetful hearer and actually forget some of your identity. We're going to see that in James chapter 1. But as pastor of St. Louis Family Church, I feel imp it's imperative that I kind of emphasize these foundational truths for you so that by them you may fight the good fight of faith. And... Um, I want, this is the goal, and if you're a note taker, you could write this down. Let the Bible feed your imaginative life. Let the Bible feed your imaginative life. I let music feed my imaginative life in my formative days, and a lot of the lyrics were sort of drifting culturally from where good values are, and it, you know, those things, Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, to be careful what you listen to. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given besides. I think it's important before we read Philemon 6 that we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, about through 4, where in the New American Standard, Paul is saying, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And he's Paul's telling Timothy the pastor, verse 2, he goes on and he says that to preach the word, to be ready or instant, in season and out of season. T 2 Timothy 4.2, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Look at what it says next. Here's the warning 2,000 years ago and how much more in 2021. For the time will come, the time will come when they, people, will not endure sound doctrine or they won't, that won't be the appeal. They'll want something more novel. They won't endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled they will actually accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Uh, it's a narcissistic society. It's so entitlement. Come on, I want what I want to hear. Tickle my ears. Flatter me. And will turn away from their ears from the truth, tragically. Look at this. And turn aside to myths. They'll turn their... This is a warning that God gave, Paul the Apostle gave to Timothy the pastor 2,000 years ago, maybe 57, 63 A.D., and how much more pertinent is as we bump it up in the end of the end days. And the admonition, I love the verse too. It just sort of is very succinct. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So instead of turning our ears toward mythology, which there's no basis for, we turn our ears toward the wonderful, true word of God, which is anchoring. It's Second Timothy right before this. In 2 Timothy 3.16, he reminds us that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Part of the responsibility of the pastor is for this next part, for the equipping of the saints. It says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And I like to say this, or the woman of God may be adequate equipped for every good work, or I like to also add this, or the child of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God is an equipper. The devil is a diminishing, discounting, disqualifying being. God, on the other hand, is a replenishing, sustaining, 
giving. God so loved the world that he gave. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said famously in John chapter 10, verse 10. That's the itemization of his behavior. He comes to steal, kill, destroy. Those are all diminishing elements. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This is the Christianity that I have adhered to since I became, I got saved as a teenager in Southern California, November 1972. This is the doctrine that has been presented to me in Bible school. The pastor that laid hands on us and ordained us in 1980 was proficient in these teachings. These were the teachings that were foundational in my early beginnings. So here I am, 40 years into pastoring, here at St. Louis Family Church, where we've been here since, we started in Friday night at 88, here we got in this building, late 92, early 93, and uh, so here we are in this season. God knew we'd go through a global pandemic. God knew there would be all these kinds of cycles. Nothing takes them by surprise. And so we get that stabilizing awareness that our God is so faithful. He's so present to help in the time of need. He hears and he answers prayer. He's so merciful toward us. Praise God. So this is what I want to bring to you. So that the man, woman, or child of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And then I want to teach these things so that instead of accumulating teachers that will tickle your ears... I mean, there's such a litany right now and such a convenient availability uh, with our phones that so much information is available to us at such a high degree that at the advent of cell phones and laptops, the president in the early 80s didn't have as much access to knowledge and information, even in the libraries of Congress, which amassed all these so many reams and and piles and volumes of information. An eight-year-old kid with a cell phone has more access to more knowledge than the President of the United States, the leader of the free world, did just a few short decades ago. The Bible says in the end times, knowledge will increase. Well, I think there is an increase of the knowledge of God in not something new, not something different, not something better. It's, It's just something that God is bringing his message front and center, and he wants to do it through his people. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a brand new creation. That the old things passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And all these things are from God who has made us. Let's look at this verse because it's just so rich because it leads us into this point. These things are from, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Look at this. And gave us the ministry, downloaded the purpose of God the ministry of reconciliation. This is so deep. I'm the product of Christians who understood the download and the responsibility and the necessity to communicate Jesus. I got led to the Lord by one of the 40,000 soldiers that came back from Vietnam, crippled with and arrested by heroin addiction. I got led to the Lord by a former addict. That gives me perpetual hope that somebody could be saved. In the last service, a man came and he told me, I just got out of rehab, my 10th rehab. I moved from Florida to here. I wanted to be in this church. I said, did you detox? He said, yes. I said, did you go through rehab? Yes, I did, through the VA. I looked him in the eyes. I said, listen, you've rearranged your neurotransmitters in your brain, and I get it. But I'm telling you, the word of God can also rearrange the neurotransmitters in your brain, and you could be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I even have a friend named Percy Menzies who's a a pharmacology, uh, I think he has a doctorate in pharmacology, he's a man from India. He said to me, Pastor Jeff, I'm so mad when people say their brains can't get healed. Their brains can get healed. He had tears in his eyes. Their brains can get healed. And I agree with him. We can be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We can come out of the, the harsh, the medium, and the light grade problems Just even the apathy, the complacency that tries to get us through some of these cycles that have happened. I've been studying from 68 to 73, and I've been looking at there's documentaries and there's history about these periods, and I've been kind of binge studying these things, and it's bringing clarity to me about the context in which I got saved, the context of the culture shift that I was in that I was too young to really understand. Being raised in Southern California, the convention of the 50s and the values from post-war to the transitions of the counterculture in the context where I was in, probably the same everywhere, but very concentrated out on the coast. Though we lived 35 miles from Mexico and we were on the Pacific Rim and I enjoyed a lot of blending of culture, you know, 
Uh, we lived not very far from East Los Angeles. I mean, there was just a lot of variety of ethnicities. I had the good fortune of having a dad who'd never spoke a racial slur ever the whole time I grew up. He just had a good you know, attitude about all that, so I didn't grow up in those kinds of biases. But I watched society just all bent on hostility against each other. I watched it kind of implode. I watched, I watched the divisions between the races. And I looked at the divisions of the monuments of division even in church. I couldn't relate what, which one is the true church or whatever. And then all of these occults were emerging, the hippie vans and people, you know, with incense burners and Eastern stuff. And it's like, what am I supposed to think? How do I live? And all the while... And, Ecclesiastes 3, the Bible says, God set eternity in our hearts. That can't be filled by any created thing. It can't be filled by prominence and position and fame or finances or wealth or pleasure or, you know, any of these other activities. It can't be filled by anything but Jesus. Now, that sounds like, well, you're just a hardcore weekend religious guy. What else would you say? You're a pastor. Look, I'm saying it from a context where I was not saved. There was nothing modeled in my household of interest in Jesus except a nominal sort of surface that there's a God, there's a good Lord, the man upstairs. Very vague. And then I saw cults and I thought, I don't want to be a religious fanatic, but I also don't want to be dead in my trespasses and sins. So what is the thing you're trying to say, God? If anyone is in Christ, you become a brand new creation. And one translation says that you and I or we are a new species of being which never before existed. Jesus came in as the firstborn of many brethren. Adam and Eve were the prototype of our natural birth. Jesus is the prototype of a supernatural new birth. That's why he told Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Maria and Chris are going to have a baby shortly in a few days. We just heard Addison and Steve are going to have their second child. Praise the Lord for that. That's a verifiable, wonderful thing. Babies come into the world. Hallelujah. I had my birthday February 22nd, 1956. I had a new birth in November of 1972 at 16 years old. That birthday is as real to me as my natural birthday. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so Paul, who understood how harsh and lost he was before the road to Damascus experience, makes perfect sense that the Lord would download this amazing revelation of being in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a brand new creation. The old things pass away and all things become new. This is such an important thing to be aware of because it'll create an identity shift. It'll shift your identity off of, of where you position yourself. Or this is who I am. This is what I am. It'll throw off the restraints and the limitations because in Christ, there's the this power of the Holy Spirit that actually makes inadequate people adequate. It makes insufficient people sufficient. It makes the dull and the numb and the lost alive and vibrant and a stirring and a potential of a skill set because he pours out gifts. And we, how many of you, when you were a kid in school, and they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you, and you looked in the dictionary how to spell mediocre. How many of you, how many of you in kindergarten, you're M-E-D, I want to be mediocre when I grow up. No, you did not. You wanted to be somebody. You wanted to do something. You wanted to be fruitful. You wanted to really live this life, and you still do. And it's been, you know why? Because I buy the Genesis account. I've got a worldview. I don't think it was space aliens. I don't think it was an accident. I don't think it was a primordial ooze. I'm not, I don't buy those things. My center of conviction is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created humanity, Adam and Eve, male and female. He created us, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Walk in wisdom. Walk in and explore your talents. Be bold. Don't be intimidated. Don't have an inferiority complex. Don't have an identity crisis. But boy, did I have an identity crisis in those early, late 60s, early 70s. I had such an identity crisis. That's why I'm turning your attention to this verse here. Philemon 6. I don't have time to elaborate on how this was a letter Paul wrote to Philemon about his runaway slave Onesimus who got thrown in jail. Paul was in jail. In verse 10, he 
Onesimus, he, he was begotten in prison. Paul led him to the Lord, and he was sending him back. He said, don't, don't hassle this guy. Don't be mad at him. He left you for a little while. He's coming back forever. He's a new creature now. And Philemon, I know you're a new Christian. You, you, you love the Lord. He said in, in verse uh, 5 and 4 and 5, he said, you, your love, your faith is famous. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. But verse 6 is so signature powerful. I want to advise you to meditate on verse 6. He says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Knowledge is power. And if you read this verse and it doesn't just gloss over and you really ponder it a little bit, its implications are profound. How many of you like the idea of being effective? I want to be an effective parent, for example. I want to be an effective pastor. I want to be an effective husband. I want to be effective if God gives me a responsibility to stand up and speak publicly, or if I have to do first aid, I, I know there are EMTs and doctors in here. You want to be proficient. You know, when, when something's really critical and it's a life-changing moment, how many of you want to be effective at work? You want to be effective in your, in your daily life. You, you, you don't want the dull edge. You want to make a difference. God very much is signaling this to the church right now. God is making an appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. And it's therefore critical that we look back and inventory how good God is. We come to know how good he is, how big he is. That's why I started this series on the word of God as final authority. Then I talked about God the Father, his son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And talked about the dynamics of three in one and the mystery of that amazingness of God's nature. And, and then we're moving into the doctrine of sin and how sin separates us from God. And hell is a literal place, and so is heaven. And that there's an assurance that when you receive Jesus, the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And now I'm moving on to the doctrine of our identification in Christ. And I think it's important that we understand, hey, I'm a new creature. Because the Bible says, put off the old man and put on the new man. Even water baptism is a living illustration of that of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and of the believer that identifies with him. There's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God, there's one body. And I'm telling you, we it's a moment where there's been social distancing, there's been masking, there have been all kinds of issues, upheaval, societal issues, racial issues, socioeconomic issues, political issues that seem to be almost different but same as the cycles of 50 years ago in the context in which I was born and spiritually made alive. What it did was it so unsettled me that I had an identity crisis growing up in such fast-paced conditions. And I think now how the Lord is, it's very similar. Things are in cycles. Sunrise, sunset, things happen in cycles. But look, God, he's not cyclical. He's always consistent. He's always the same. He never changes. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, will not be consumed. He's talking to the Jews. And for us, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Old Testament truth bumped up into the New Testament context. Hallelujah. So I look at this young couple, Chris and Anna Maria, and I think there's so much potential for them, so much hope. Who would have a baby in a time like this? They would. Why? Because they're full of hope. In 1971, Bill Gaither and his wife were having a baby, and he was depressed 50 years ago at the same kinds of maladies and social difficulties that we see in the peril that we feel that's palpable in the air. And he turned to his wife and he said, how can we bring a child into the world like this? And then he started to write a song. Does anybody know the song? Because he lives, I could face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. So they birthed the baby in 1971. So I have hope. Abraham had hope even when there was no hope. There's such a pervasive climate of hopelessness. Back in the transitions of the late 60s and early 70s, which I've been studying lately, yet God intervened. Mick Jagger, I heard him with his own words last night. He said, he said people went off into hard drugs and then people went off into extreme religious stuff. And he, and he dismissed both of them. I thought, you can't lump both of them together. One has a very bad consequence. Janis Joplin died at 27. 
Jim Morrison died at 27, then his girlfriend Pam Corson died at 27 a little while later, and then uh, Jimi Hendrix died at 27, all that garbage. That's the end of that. But people that get born again, they have eternal life. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Even when you die, you live. I just talked to a brother whose brother just died in the last couple of days. And tears in his eyes, and it's such a loss, not for that brother. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Doesn't make you miss him any less. It just makes you know, boy, that death is swallowed up in life in a millisecond. You talk about light speed. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. Out of this very pulpit, Patsy Caminetti, great friend of the church, husband's of one of our board members, she said, you know, Western civilization, we think in linear terms. God thinks in cycles. Jewish people tend to think differently. So they, they think about that God knows the end from the beginning, and they're from the, that's actually the origin of Judeo-Christian foundation is from the East. Here we are way out in the West with Western mindsets, but if we really pay attention to the scriptures, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years with God. Let that trip on your melon. Let that encourage you. Let that inform your thinking. And in fact, let this, these Bible truths fuel your imaginative life. You get this on your business practices, you'll you go, what should I do here? You'll follow the witness of the Holy Spirit. You'll listen to the news and the information. Okay, I got that. But the law of the Lord makes wise the simple. So God... I need wisdom. You know more about this than anybody else. And I, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to learn from you. Teach me your ways, Lord. Why? Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I know my ways were getting, sending me to hell. I was meandering in lostness, and it was not getting any better. But I heard that there was a possibility that if you call upon Jesus and surrender to him and yield to him and receive him, there's this thing called a new birth. And it's not just like a Band-Aid slapped on a messed up life. He comes in and makes you a brand new creation. All these old things pass away and new things come. And there's an instantaneous spiritual new birth. But the process of our minds being renewed takes a lifetime. The process of our bodies being uh, yielded to and submitted to God, we have to be a living sacrifice the rest of our lives, all the way to our last breath. Nick Gakes, who lived to be 90-something, turned to the brothers at a men's meeting and said, some of the flesh tendencies of, of our lives never go away. And, and there was, I was with another middle-aged guy, and he said, oh, man, I thought as you got older, some of these things would be less to deal with. And basically what he was saying is, as long as we live in our earthly bodies, we have to battle the enemy, we have to keep our flesh under, we have to mature and grow up, right? And get our minds renewed, right? Can we turn the page? Go to James chapter 1. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Oh, hallelujah. Everybody say, Pastor Jeff is excited. I'm excited about the prospects of you getting encouraged in the Lord, fed. You could come to a meeting like this and get radically fed. You could come to a meeting like this and make your pastor the best preacher in the history of Christianity. Or you could sit there looking at your watch and going, my, perform, Pastor Jeff. You've said these same stories before. I've heard these scriptures before. And have an attitude. Or you could come in with this, God, I'm trusting you. In fact, Lord, you're my teacher. Holy, the Holy Spirit is my teacher. And God, I pray that. I put a demand on that gift on the office of the pastor. And I'm believing God for teaching, preaching, praying, prophesying, correspondent to my need today. Give me this day my daily bread, Lord. I'm coming into this house. I believe in God. I, I bothered to get out of bed. I bothered to put on my clothes. I bothered to get in the car. I bothered to drive to church. I bothered to get out of the car and walk across the hot asphalt. I'm walking up to the patio. I'm saying hi to people I don't even know. I'm coming in. I'm hearing the music. I walk into the building. What's going to happen in here? Well, I'll tell you, you can make some things happen because the Bible says that when we pray, the fervent heartfelt prayer of a righteous person avails much, makes power available, dynamic in its working. I learned this when I was a teenager, praying for my pastor. I could come in in pre-meeting prayer, and I could, I could augment, and I could contribute to the atmosphere. I could be an asset to the meeting. I could lift up and hold up his arms like Aaron and Hur held up Moses' arms. I could pray. I could support with tithes and offerings. I could serve. I could get in there and arrange chairs, and I could, you know, figure out what to do and pray for people and, and bring friends and get people saved and contribute to the atmosphere. 
I could, I could fill up empty seats. I could be a bringer. I could talk to friends at college or friends at my, at my work and say, hey, meet me at church. And I did, and I watched people come to the Lord. I could come into church and I could pray, God, get a hold of that. I know he's anointed. You called him. God, your hand is on him. I pray you be with his mouth. I pray you give a door of utterance. I pray he would give him boldness on the way he ought to speak. I do this when I go to conferences. Instead of going, let's see what you got. Let's have a performance moment. Let's see what you got. I go, God, I pray that they are covered, protected. I bind demonic influences over them. I come against hassles. I know how to pray for preachers because I've been one for so long. And to come into this house with these expectations that in the goal being the equipping of the saints for the works of service. Listen, I, I have this constant abiding awareness that Ephesians chapter 4 says that it's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Ephesians 4, uh, verse, I think, 13, 14, uh, for the equipping of the saints, that the, the we all grow up, we speak the truth in love, and that in verse uh, 16, let's go to verse 16. Oh, I love verse 16. Oh, this is that causes the growth of the body, the building up of itself in love, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together. See, fitted and held together is the opposite of clashing and, and isolated. You know, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, tries to break up marriages, tries to make up, break up families, tries to break up businesses, tries to break up units. He's the diminishing being. Remember, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I will build my church and I'll squirt super glue and epoxy and gorilla glue all over it and wrap it in duct tape, eternal duct tape, layers and layers. I knew a guy that made a whole suit for the prom out of duct tape and a wallet and a prom dress. And it was Patsy and me, 19, no, I'm just kidding. Now I'm coveting duct tape suit. But anyway, everything's better with duct tape. And God knows how to glue, super glue the church body. I told you I learned something from Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. I, I'm a big fan of the harmonies from this the British family, the Gibb family. Barry Gibb, he's a surviving, the only brother left. Andy died from substance abuse. I think he was only 30 in uh, 1988 from cocaine and heart issues. And then Maurice died in the 90s, young, and only in his 50s. His twin, Robin, died May 20th, 2012, at 62 years young. And his brother, Barry Gibb, the two of those guys, surviving guys, had clashed personally, professionally, for decades before his death. And that conflict actually lasted all the way to the bitter end. Nonetheless, Barry Gibb got up as the surviving Gibb, the last of the Bee Gees, and at his brother's funeral, he said, and I quote, even right up to the end, we found conflict with each other, which now means nothing. It just means nothing. If there's conflict in your lives, Barry said, get rid of it. It sounds like Ephesians 4, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, abusive speech be put away from you along with all malice. And right before that, it says, don't give the devil an opportunity. And right after that, it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. So we know this, like at a, in, a, in your job setting, you're in that role, you, you, there, there's gotta be due diligence to maintain peace. And as Christians, primarily, we're called to pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. We gotta be peacemakers. Not just peacekeepers, like, let's calm down, let's calm down, but even peacemakers. We're serving the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. He said there will be peace on earth and goodwill toward men, and it's essential that we get this. Because in Galatians it says, beware of biting and devouring one another, lest you be consumed by one another. I was in uh, Gatwick Airport, and I ran into one of the kinks, one of the brothers. And they were the leaders of the British invasion. But it's, they're famous for clashing with each other. Oasis, they're famous for getting in fights with each other. Joe Perry and Steven Tyler, they've gotten in fist fights on the stage. The Creedence Clearwater Revival brothers 
you got one guy got a transfusion and tragically the blood was tainted with HIV and he got AIDS and he died of AIDS from the blood transfusion and the other brother didn't even get with him in his death. This is what Barry was basically saying to the music world and the family that was there grieving the loss of his brother. But how much more in 2021 in the body of Christ when love is the perfect bond of unity and this is the central height of the expression of the pinnacle of the best that we are. God wants us to understand God is love and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is love and love is value. And don't you see the devil in 1968 to 73 trying to bring division between races, division between genders, division between age brackets, division between socioeconomics, division between political viewpoints? Don't you see that happening again? Don't you see that even in Israel there was such a clash? They were murmuring against Moses, murmuring against each other. Even Aaron was murmuring against Moses. Miriam, his sister, I should be able to speak. All kinds of crazy land stuff was trying to happen. Why? Because Psalm 133 precisely underscores the terms and the, and the value of our moment. Behold how good and how precious it is when brethren dwell together in unity. When I was 19 years old, Mr. Pentecost from South Africa, David Duplessis, spoke here in St. Louis. Elegant older man, a Pentecostal during the John G. Lake period and Smith Wigglesworth, if you're a student of Christian history, these were kind of major proponents of a visitation of the Lord in the last century that brought such change throughout the nations. Didn't just change the complexion of church changed the very core of church, the system of things. God revived supernatural power and stirred things afresh in the church, and he's doing it again. He got up and he said, look, man, I used to write everybody off as being heretics, and he said, until I realized that Jesus is the head of the church, and he loves the body, and he had a, he had a reformation in his own personal life. And I was sitting there, a little kid, didn't know I was called into the ministry, but I just rededicated I'd been away from God. I got back in church. It was kind of like the pandemic, only it was a self-imposed pandemic. I was, I was socially distanced and I was masked. I was hiding behind my mask and I wasn't going to church. I was alienated and separated. He that separates himself seeks his own way. He rails against all sound judgment. That was me. What a dork. And uh, yet God, the good shepherd, drew me back. A guy who became our attorney and wrote the bylaws for the founding of our church Mike Maglieri, who was going to uh, studying to prepare for law school, has now got a premier role in retirement law and, and uh, estate law and all that kind of stuff in Missouri. Hey, I'm going to church. You want to go with me? Yeah. Brought me to church. I got rededicated. I fell in love with my sweetheart. I heard some teaching from an anointed minister, and it shaped my destiny. This kind of thing can happen any moment. That's why we need to stay available. We need to hang out under the spout where the glory comes out. But not, not be passive. Don't forsake the assembling together, which is the habit of some. There's some assembly required here. And church is a full contact sport. It's not virtual. It, we're not armchair generals. We are the body. And it's joints and ligaments that supply. And it's the proper working of each. This is my dream for our church. The proper working of each individual part is what's going to cause the growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. Amazing things are shaping right now. God is doing some amazing things. Very similar to Judges 6, 7, and 8. Very similar to the early church beginnings where Jesus flipped the keys to only 12. He's doing some fantastic things today. Very similar to a one-eyed African-American man marginalized during the Jim Crow segregation of 1903 through 1906, William J. Seymour, who steps up and provides an elegant moment of leadership for the entire population of the planet. The least likely or the, the kind of the, the marginalized person. God rarely extracts healers from the ranks of the unscarred is what Dick Mills said here at our church. God rarely extracts healers from the ranks of the unscarred. So you may have been through some stuff. You may have a story to tell. Even in our best days, there's dysfunction. You know, that's why I'm not so particular about going and do like a family tree thing. I'm sure I'll find some heroic stuff, and I'll also find some really weird sinful stuff. 
So I'm just not so sure I want to dig all that up. I'm just good to be alive right now and move forward and have my name recorded in heaven. And I want to emphasize being a new creature. Did I read James chapter 1? Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility... Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Verse 21, James 1. This is about going back to Philemon, about looking at what kind of person you are, who you are, your identity. That the fellowship of your faith becomes effectual through the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ. My wife would say to me, we are in in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Now that's an identity clarifier. She's looked at the fine print of her Bible and she's reminded me. The true story about an Irish family immigrating after the potato famine during the uh, steamship era. Guys scraped and saved. They packed up. They sold their property. They had their meager belongings, blankets, and some backpacks, and some hats, and scrabble, hard scrabble clothes. And they, they used everything of their life savings to be able to immigrate. They bought a one-way transfer to the United States. They got in the boat, walked up the gangway off the pier, and they went downstairs and found some of the anchor rope and sort of arranged it. The husband and wife kind of picked up these heavy ropes and leveled them and then put blankets on them and figured out places for everybody to sleep. After the evening dinner, they would, the wife or the husband, would, one would watch the kids, the other would go upstairs and climb the steps up to the higher areas of the dining compartments, and they'd go gather scraps from the table put them in an apron or put them in a bag discreetly out of embarrassment, I suppose, and take them back down, and they would have meals together in the downstairs uh, low part of the boat where there are no windows. About several days into the trip, a steward, an official from the boat, and we've been looking for you. And they were like, they were nervous, like, have we done something wrong? Was it the food? Was it the... And they said, your rooms are empty. Your place in the dining area has been empty. Your table's been empty. Where have you been? We counted everybody, and we knew that we had, you know, who was on, on the manifest. We knew we had all the people that had paid the tickets. And they said, what do you mean our room? You've got rooms upstairs with beds and clean sheets, and you've got free meals, three meals a day, and you, you up, in the, up in the galley with everybody else. And, and he said, let me see your ticket. He pulled out his ticket, and on the back, there was fine print, and it said all those things. He didn't get the fine print detail of all his provision. He was living beneath where he was, his station in life. So then the steward proudly took the, get everything, gathered it all up, pick up your blankets, and he walked him, he marched him back up into the higher levels where the windows were, where the food was, where the other people were, where they could come in. And this is, in fact, what the Lord Jesus is doing. He lifted up the lowest of the low. He's come in to bring revelation to us. Those were lost in darkness, alienated and separated, having no hope, sick, diseased, lost, going to hell. He comes and brings redemption. He raises us up and seats us with him in heavenly places in Christ. He gives us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This has got to become practical for us. It can't just be religious theory any longer. We've got to know who we are in Christ. We've got to know what we have in Christ. We've got to be able to articulate it. We've got to be able to, having done all to stand, stand against the lies of the devil, against the divisiveness he's trying to bring in the church, against the darkness he's trying to eclipse us with, because he's called us out of darkness to show forth his light. He says this right here, prove yourselves doers of the word, verse 22, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has forgotten, immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. I've been watching this program called Alone, and they drop 10 people out in these cold, isolated places that are grizzly bear infested and they, they just have to survive. For so many, the, the prize is a half a million dollars for the last one that makes it to the, to the end. And every one, they have cameras and video, of course, because they're produ- producing a program. So they're required to video their actions, you know, building a shelter, securing food, foraging, you know, picking up plants and things like that, grubs, catching fish, running off bears, things like that. It's a, it's a fascinating show. But what's interesting is every one of them, they, they use the camera and they look at themselves because they don't have mirrors. So they, one guy's mustache just went amazing. 
it went, it grew down, out, and up. And he had little goggles on. He had some pretty serious prescription lenses. So he had one of those, he had some of those toddler glasses, I think, with a strap so he wouldn't lose them. And I'm telling you, and he had dirt. He's, he said, why didn't anybody tell me I had this much dirt on my face? Because nobody was there. He had a dirty looking face. He said, sorry, mom and dad, you know, and he was an adult, you know. But he was saying, he was looking at himself. And it's like, you could look in the mirror and look away and actually get spiritual amnesia. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that the word of God is a mirror. It's among many things, it's a mirror. But it's not a narcissistic mirror where we're like this, the Snow White animated Disney film of the 30s, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? That was wicked. It's not like Narcissus looking at his reflection going, I am the most beautiful. Uh, it, it doesn't, it's not that. It's an identifier. It's like, this is who Jesus is in me. This is who I am in Christ. Come on. Come on, get this. Because I pray the fellowship of your faith, your Christian walk becomes increasingly more effective and efficient. Why? How? What? Through the acknowledging, the awareness, the meditation on, the proclaiming, the reading the fine print. Hey, I'm a king's kid. I don't live down in the basement on the ropes. I'm up, I'm seated in heavenly places. I, I didn't just get a passage to barely get along. I actually get three meals and a nice cot to sleep on. And I get to be around uh, not only my family, but all the people. I can make friends as I make this transition into a new level. Oh, hallelujah. I hope you're getting this. Pastor Jeff, thank you for reminding me I'm a new creation in Christ. Thank you for reminding me that, that my sins are washed away. So I'm getting ready to receive communion. And before I leave this building, I'm receiving that and affirming that I'm different than I used to be. I believe in that, that Jesus is my healer that keeps me healthy. With long life, he satisfies me based on Psalm 91. And, and he shows me his salvation. That he eradicates the sin condition and he heals my diseases. And not only that, I, as I look in the mirror of the word, I identify with who he is. And it transcends my gender. It transcends my ethnicity. It transcends my age. It transcends my socioeconomics. It transcends my education. It transcends all the failures of my past. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a brand new, profound, worthy new creature whose citizenship is in heaven, who has been given the ministry of reconciliation, whose prayers matter, whose worship gets inhabited by God, that whatever they put their hand to prospers and are designed for signs and wonders to follow. In the first sister, there was an elegant sister sitting on the second row. On Monday, it's her 90th birthday, and her name is Shirley. And I said to her, Shirley, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That was her personalized verse. Makes you wish your name was Shirley. I've got a little granddaughter named Truly. Truly, truly, I say unto you, Jesus said. It's biblical names. Hallelujah. Let's all stand up on our feet. If there's conflict in your life, get rid of it. Forgive anybody that you have ill will with or that's alienated or betrayed you. It's inevitable that offenses will come, but we've got to figure out how to be godly in it. Uh, I heard a minister, my, my wife told me that he was praying that you got to release people out of the prison of your mind and you got to forgive people. He prayed a very specific prayer. And, uh, and, and, and so we let all bitterness and all resentment, all that kind of stuff get away from us. The anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. It doesn't resolve anything, so be angry but sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Immaturity is abrupt, wants to say a piece of their mind. Maturity says, I'm going to be quiet right now. I'm going to guard my mouth. Maturity averts its eyes from trouble. We bear no ill will. We harbor no resentment. When we pray, we believe we receive. Amen? If you're not saved, you can be saved. I was lost in, uh, in New Zealand, in the ocean, and I was drifting out into the open sea in an uninhabited island 80 miles off the north tip of New Zealand out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean where there are pelagic, gigantic great white sharks. And I got rescued. And I, what I did is they, they, 
They put their, they unloaded my spear, they took the rubber bands off my spear so I was not dangerous as I handed it to them. And then I climbed back on board. I can't tell you the relief I felt to be picked up out of being lost at sea and be put on the, the deck of the boat and being recovered. I'm living proof you could be saved. But I'll tell you, that pales, that's nothing in comparison to how lost I was at 16 years old in the midst of the upheaval of the transitions of the 60s to the 70s in Southern California and as a 16-year-old with an identity crisis to find out Jesus identified with me and my sin and I could now receive him and identify with him. I'm with him now. He paid the price for my sin. That's what receiving communion states. Jesus is central in my life. And as long as you eat this flesh and drink this blood, you're putting into remembrance the Lord's death until he comes. That somebody paid the penalty for our sins. Somebody who left the splendor of heaven and took on the sinful condition and became as we are is the firstborn of many brethren. Jesus is the head. This is what my pastor taught me before I got married, that I was a new creation. It was a revolution to my thinking. I'm so grateful for the theology and the foundation that was passed to me that I'm spending the rest of my lifetime reiterating it to get the information stirred in all of us. I need reminder. We need that foundational truth so we can walk out of this place with a mature attitude God, thank you. I am what the Word says I am. I have what the Word says I have. I can do what the Word says I can do. You now see how important it is to study the Bible? That's why instead of letting pop music or other people's opinions or all the internet information be the main uh, informational thing in your mind, I want, I want you to leave with this. Let the Bible feed your imaginative life. Let the Bible be the key in your thinking. Let the Bible be the go-to approach. What does the Bible have to say about forgiveness? What does the Bible have to say about lust? What does that Bible have to say about materialism? What does the Bible have to say about judging others? What does the Bible have to say about prayer? What does the Bible have to say about depression? He redeems your life from the pit. So if you're, if you're dealing with protracted depression, I know the healer who can heal that and will. He does not want you to be constantly chronically bummed out. It's a guy who came here to the first service for years with alcohol on his breath. And I was glad he felt comfortable to come here because he no longer has alcohol on his breath. He's sober and he's been sober for a long time. And he felt like he could come here and he could get relief and he could get through his process and he wouldn't be judged. He wouldn't be condemned or shamed. He would get support. There was no justification for the sin, but there was help for him to get through it. So this guy moves from Florida. He says, I'm here. I'm coming to this church. I just got out of 10 rehabs. I just came through detox. And I look at him and I think, there's hope for you, brother. Because if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things pass away. All these things become new. Who in here is glad for God being the healer? I know a lady that had a brain tumor and came through it. I know people who had wicked colon cancer and they came through it. I know somebody that had liver cancer and came through it. I sat behind her at a meeting and I looked at her. She's years and years into her healing. I know people who have overcome alcohol and drugs. I know people who have come, overcome self-loathing and condemnation because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, Pastor Jeff, the musicians are playing, we're standing, we have communion. Are you ever going to stop preaching? <laughs> say this with me. Heavenly Father, I've come to a point in my life where I just flat out appreciate you. My relationship with you is of utmost importance. Can I say you're my prized possession? Can I say thank you for saving me? Can I say I apologize for being distracted? Lord Jesus, push the reset button in my life. I rededicate to your primary purposes for my personal life, my ministry of reconciliation, 
my prayer life, my giving, my serving, my work, my family life, my single life, whatever it may be, I pledge it to you. And I receive all your love tucked into these elements which prove your love for me. By your stripes I am healed. The blood of Jesus cancels out my sin. I am a new creation, brand new. Old things pass away. I put off the old man. One more day I put on the new man. I bridle my tongue, cast out imaginations. I have a heart to serve. I forgive everybody because you've not given me a spirit of fear. Fear must take a hike now. I forgive everybody because you told me to do so. I trust you to do a great work in my country, in Afghanistan, with health and healing and the nations concerning this virus and all the evil the enemy's trying to mount up. Lord Jesus, I'm in a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Jesus is central in my life. The Bible feeds my imaginative life. I think the thoughts of God. My meditation of Him, my pondering of Him will put me over during those dark moments. Maybe I've had a rough week, but I anticipate breakthrough. And for the people to my left and right, God, I take personal issue. I pray that before this service is over, everybody gets their needs met. Everybody gets a breakthrough. Everybody sees miraculous things. Everybody feels adequate and moves into new levels. New levels of fruitfulness. New levels of faith. New levels of joy. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, I receive healing into my body. I receive forgiveness in every area of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. I love you guys. Thanks for coming to church today.